Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, has the end of the world occurred yet? The apocalypse, the twilight of the gods, mm, the... Um, let me get my calendar out. coming, the rapture. Um, hold on. Okay, there's my Mayan calendar, and it says that it will actually occur on December 21st, 2012. Okay, so uh, we have a, a little more time mm-hmm. to freak out about it and mm-hmm. to, for people to publish books about it and, mm-hmm. and, hey, do podcasts about it, right? Exactly. All right, so... Uh, Here's the thing. People have always been doing this. As we've discussed, we did a whole episode on, on why we're in love with the idea of the end of the world and how, how we just can't get enough of it. We love an apocalypse. Right. So, so for ages, we've had quacks uh, stepping out and saying, I looked at a text mm-hmm. or I, I stared at the sun or, I, or I, I, I ate some sort of plant I shouldn't have. And now <laughs> I have inside information right. on what is going to happen uh, to our planet in the next year. And would you consider buying this pamphlet. Right, exactly. Or in the case that we have coming up with the mind calendar running out, do you want to book a package to say Belize yeah. <laughs> for the end of the world? I'm not kidding. There are end of the world packages uh, in Central America. I bet there are. Uh, yeah. But, but here's the thing. This is nothing new. It's been going on for ages and mm-hmm. it was definitely going on during the lifetime of one Sir Isaac Newton, the, uh, the father of modern science, the Englishman who lived from 1643 to 1727, mm-hmm. whose tomb actually uh, makes a statement uh, in Latin, of course, ab- about how he was basically the best man that ever lived. Yeah, please read that statement because I love it. Yeah, yeah. Here's the, uh, here's the write-up translated. Mortals rejoice that there has existed such and so great an ornament of the human race. Which, which, uh, that, you gotta admit, even for someone like Sir Isaac Newton, who is, is pretty big medicine when it comes to science, mm-hmm. that's kind of absurd. Like, yeah. like who, <laughs> who is, who is deserving of that? Maybe Sir Isaac Newton. That's the thing. Because, right. Right. cause it's easy to, uh, dismiss him as the, the gravity and apples guy. But when you really start looking at his life, A, he, he accomplished so much, mm-hmm. uh, and he was so focused and, and a little crazy. Well, more than a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, just the, the mind of this guy is pretty amazing. And so, uh, so he's living, you know, he's doing his thing. He's, uh, he's just throwing his, uh, his considerable intellect at, at various problems that come along. As uh, well as the end of the world, right? Right, right. Yeah. Because he's, he's going out in the street and he, this is a dude that is, uh, you know, he's laying out the laws of motion. He's figuring out uh, universal gravity. Mm-hmm. He's, la- he's laying down some of the physical laws that, that, uh, in our understanding of these physical laws that will allow us to go to the moon. Uh, right. I mean, it, we're, he he spoke of standing on the shoulders of giants, but he's one of the giants that that modern scientists stand upon. Right, and so he hears these these louts talking about the end of the world, and they're uh, talking about how they read it in the Bible, and he's like, "Whoa, hold on a second! I know a thing or two about theology. Mm-hmm. I've read the Bible. I've 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 looked through and glimpsed the the hidden truths in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me take a look at this, and I'll get back to you." So he goes home. He analyzes uh, the Book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel, the Old Testament had these visions of four beasts and all, and it's, and it's great, uh, you know, apocalyptic gravy, uh, for, for people who are into, into that sort of thing. Apocalyptic gravy. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, so he looks at it and he's like, all right, uh, I, I looked at it. I looked at the, uh, the, the data. I, I, I sort of weaved uh, around in the Bible codes mm-hmm. and, uh, you don't have anything to worry about. The end of the world is not happening till at least 2060, maybe after 2060, but not until 2060. So everyone shut up. That was right, his thing. right. Just yeah. keep keep walking. Nothing, nothing to see here. And that is what we thought so 
amazing about this guy is not just the the uh, the common things that we know about him that he has um, contributed to society and to mathematics and physics and so on and so forth, but um, that this guy was obsessive on on all points, and he could sort of bend the time-space continuum seemingly to his will, uh, you know, whether or not mm-hmm. he was, you know, meditating on gravity or perhaps even creating cat flap doors. Yeah, yeah? That, that one's, we're not sure on that one, but there's, there is, there, there is the theory that he invented the cat flap because yes. he didn't want his cats constantly asking to be let into, cause you know how it is. You're in your lab, uh, figuring out how the universe works and the cat wants in, scratching on the door. You let the cat in and you're like, all your, right, yeah. yeah. And you're like, all right, you're in. Let me get back to work. Then the cat wants out. So and the, this is important when you're thinking about gravity, right? You cannot right. be interrupted. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's, he's working on that and he is, uh, making the public feel safer and, and reforecasting the, uh, apocalypse for 2060. Right. So, yeah, here, here we have the Chuck Norris of science. Yeah. He, yeah. It's like the, the Chuck Norris thing. Yeah, Cause it's like when I was reading about it and I was, I was, uh, researching it for work, uh, you know, his various accomplishments, mm-hmm. I, I kept finding these amazing things. Cause I, I mean, my understanding of Newton was a little deeper than, than the gravity and apples guy. Right. But, uh, but I didn't know about, about some of these details of the man's life or just, or I didn't have a good grasp for how his brain worked. But when you, when you really look at what he did, he does come off like this Chuck Norris character, you know, and you're reminded of these lists, the, you know, the, the internet lists of the things Chuck Norris has done, like the idea that Chuck Norris has counted to infinity twice. Right. Or that, uh, that Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer, but since he's never cried, um, the, the, you know, <laughs> we're not able to cure cancer, that kind of thing. Right. Um, uh, and, and you look at Newton's life and some of this stuff is, is that outlandish. It is. In fact, before we get to some of the other, um, maybe not as, as widely known information and more Chuck Norris information, let's talk really quickly about what we, what we think of, uh, when we think of Newton. Okay. Um, well, for starters, there is the law of universal gravitation. Mm-hmm. This like basically strikes at the heart of, of how gravity works and how the universe is held together by gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing we, we often don't remember is that one of the ways that Newton expressed this, uh, in his, in his writings was to create a thought, uh, experiment mm-hmm. in which you had a mountain that, uh, was higher than the clouds, higher than the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and had a giant cannon on top of it, an orbital cannon. Mm-hmm. They could fire a cannonball at just the right velocity that it would go into orbit around the planet. Right. Like, that's the way the, the man thought. That's what he was daydreaming about. Right, right. Most famously, he la- he laid down the three laws of motion, and these were, uh, this was 1687, and, uh, and, and these will sound familiar to everybody. An object will remain at rest or, or moving in a straight line unless acted upon by an external force. Mm-hmm. When force is applied to an object, it will accelerate. So we get force equals mass times acceleration. And here's a, a, a big one. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And, uh, which seems all very obvious now, but obviously back in the day, this was. Yeah, scholars used to wrestle with this. Yeah. Um, for instance, a uh, Greek philosopher Aristotle thought that smoke moved upwards because the smoke was mostly air and therefore was consciously deciding to go into the sky to hang out with the rest of its air buddies. Um, you know, um, which I kind of love. Yeah. 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 And then you had other people, Rene Descartes, who still identified God as the prime mover behind everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newton came down and, you know, he laid, out, he laid down the laws. And these are, these are the, the fundamental laws that we, uh, we, we base our modern understanding on. Uh, in addition to that, he looked at rainbows and figured mm-hmm. out how rainbows worked. Um, that it, that the the prism or the raindrop mm-hmm. was not changing or color. It wasn't coloring 
the light. Right. At the time, they thought that it was mm-hmm. like the sun's rays were dying the light, right? Right. Uh, and from there, uh, actually, it leads to his um, uh, development of the reflecting telescope. Before that, everyone used the, the refracting telescope, mm-hmm. which wasn't as powerful. It uh, it could it could add various tints of color that weren't weren't disruptive to what mm-hmm. you're trying to look at. Um, and uh, and they were they were larger. Uh, so he comes along. He in it. He invents the reflecting telescope that mm-hmm. uses mirrors, and uh, and this becomes the standard. Yeah, this is really cool. This was in your article. Um, your article's name again? Uh, ten uh, top ten Isaac Newton inventions. Yep, a large mirror would capture the image, then a small mirror, a smaller mirror would bounce it into the viewer's eyes. Right. Which I think is really cool. Uh, not only does this method produce a clearer image, it also allows for a much smaller telescope. So I just think it's cool that he had that perspective back then to say, ah, oh, how can I improve upon this? You know, let's not refract, let's reflect. And he actually grinded the mirrors himself and assembled a prototype and then presented it to the Royal Society in 1670. So let's talk about um, some of the the other stuff that is just so amazing that this guy is sitting around and accomplishing so much um, in in such a small amount of time, really. All right. Well, here's one. All right. So and and again, you got to think about Newton's mind as just this obsessive uh, thing, this engine that uh, in any kind of data comes its way, and he has to solve it. He's going to figure it out. And he's a bit of a madman, too. And we'll talk yeah, a little bit about bit this and how, how it might have affected his perspective. Yeah, he, he never married. He uh, he didn't have much in the way of friends. Like, this was a man who would latch himself onto uh, a, a riddle or a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I keep coming back. To, I've mentioned this before, the old idea that a vampire, you leave a knot out for it, a really complex knot, mm-hmm. and it would sit there trying to untie it until the sun came up. Like, that's that's Newton's brain. Um and and so, like for instance, uh, 1665, plague has uh, has hit bubonic plague has hit England, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a huge problem. And and so Newton uh, sees it. He's uh, over at Cambridge, and he decides to uh, to figure this out because it's actually shut down the university, right? And, and that's where he needs to be to think. So it's shut down the university for eighteen months. Yeah. So he's he's got some time on his hands, right? Right, right. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this. Here's the thing: math wasn't sufficient at that time for him to study this. Mm-hmm. He needed a school of uh, of mathematics that would allow him to calculate problems that involve changing variables. Mm-hmm. So he invented one. He invented calculus. Like right. he needed calculus. It didn't exist. He made it. Math was insufficient for his needs, so he just created his own his, his new uh, school of it. That is so Norris, yeah. right? Um, and, and again, we're talking about calculations concerning the angle of cannonballs and a ship's rate of acceleration, and that's just so that it could fuel his daydreaming, right? Right, right. Yeah, and 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 allow him to understand what was happening in the world. He, mm-hmm. he was like, like I'm, I'm having trouble understanding how this is spreading, how this is working. Um, Math, you're not helping me. I'm going to have to do all the work for you. And mm-hmm. so he created ca- calculus. He's the father of calculus. It should also be noted that German mathematician Gottfried Leibniz uh, independently developed calculus around the same time. Yeah, actually, sort of what has compounded this, this question mark, question mark about who uh, created calculus, is the fact that Newton was really private, um, and some would even say secret, and he didn't publish a lot. He might have... Uh, written down quite a few things and presented them in various academic uh, institutions, but he wasn't someone who was sort of, you know, gunning to get published and get and become known for something. And in fact, some of the things that he uh, obsessed about and wrote about uh, certainly didn't uh, really enter the public eye till quite a while later, and mm-hmm. were kind of a, a dirty secret for for a bit. Are you talking about alchemy? I am talking about alchemy. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yes, uh, alchemy, uh, as we've discussed, I think we discussed this in the Frankenstein podcast a bit. Uh, this is, of course, the, the old, uh, typically thought of as medieval bastardization of chemistry mm-hmm. and occultism and philosophy and trickery and just, you know, it's, <laughs> there, there, there is, there's chemistry bound up in it, but there's just a lot of mess. I mean, kind of like just to, to be, uh, not very kind about it. It's basically taking a, a pile of dog crap and spinning it into gold, right? Or turning one's urine into gold and uh, accidentally discovering phosphorus, that kind of thing. Right. The thing is, though, there was a lot of real chemistry there. There was some. There was some real science going on in the world of alchemy. Mm-hmm. And if you were interested in uh, in the, the, the chemistry of the world, this was for the most part the only game in town, um, in, as far as the West goes. So, uh, so of course he studied it. And, uh, and the thing is, alchemy only became this sort of dirty word later in his life and after his death. Right. And, and also he was not afraid of looking into something that was kind of crazy. And he, I mean, he really believed that there was, there was hidden truth to be found in alchemy. Well, and during his time too, wasn't uh, alchemy punishable by law? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it became so. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's something that he kind of squirreled away because obviously he didn't want to, um, to have any sort of negative repercussions from it. Uh, but it wasn't until the 1930s when I believe that was at an auction house that someone found a huge volume, volume of his writings. Mm-hmm. And it was discovered to the extent to which he had de- dedicated uh, really his life to alchemy. Yeah. And that he was serious. Like it wasn't just a this is all nonsense, but I'm kind of interested in the chemistry. No, he was trying to create the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about uh, that. The, the Philosopher's Stone. uh it, it, its exact description varies from text to text, but it's clearly like a man-made stone or a man-made elixir, uh, and it has this uh, power of universal transmutation. So it can turn lead into stone. It can cure illnesses. It can transform a headless cow into a swarm of bees or allow mm-hmm. you to throw some wizard semen um, you know, in a jar <laughs> and add a few other ingredients and make a homunculus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it it's like the the ultimate power and that's the th- that's why he was interested in it because ideally this would give him power over life and death. Well, and you know it turns out that he is really interested in this mystical realm. Yeah. And so the idea some people have said some historians have looked back at the way his mind works and said you know, he may not have been able to discuss um the laws of motion or uh discover them name them. Um, if he didn't have this particular mystical bent, because he's thinking about the forces of the universe, right? right. And trying to harness them. Uh, so I think that's really interesting in thinking about that um, when you think about Newton. He wrote more than one million words on the subject of alchemy, which is amazing. Much more than he ever dedicated to, uh, you know, his stalwart, uh, science. Of course, you could look at it in this sense that, um, science for Newton, was a problem that he uh, was a knot that he was eventually able to untie in many cases. Alchemy ultimately proves that knot that never completely untied for him. So right. it was probably the kind of thing where you just keep writing and writing about it because you're never going to reach that point with alchemy that you're like, all right, uh, Philosopher's Stone, case closed. Now let me move on to something else, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing as we discussed in this doomsday stuff. He was interested in theology. He was interested in in discovering the coded secrets of the Bible, the wisdom of the ancients. Mm -hmm. And you can sit there all day looking for these secret codes, and you're just going to end up writing more and more words about it because you're not going to find, you're not going to uncover this this hidden equation in uh, in biblical text, and you're not going to find it in alchemy either. But Don't tell that to Dan Brown. Well, no, he did find the hidden, uh, the hidden equation. (laughs) Oh, sure he did. That's uh, right. It had to do with uh, publishing dollars. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's his own kind of alchemy. Um, but, you know, we, and we will talk a, a bit more about um, his sort of obsessive quest uh, for religion, thinking about religion and uh, and the Bible. But before we do that, I really want to talk about how he was fighting crime and melting money. All right. Sir Isaac Newton, crime finder. And this was an area that I, before I uh, was researching in this for work, I, I really didn't know anything about this this corner of his life. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a bit of a politician, although kind of a backseat politician, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Yeah. So you have to you have to go back to 1600s. England's financial system is in full blown crisis mm-hmm. mode. Okay. Um, the currency uh, consisted entirely of silver coins, and the silver was often worth more than the value stamped on it due to the the economic uh, situation. Okay. So people start were often uh, melting the coins down or chipping the silver from the edges and selling them to France. So pretty soon. The coinage just looks like crap. It's completely it's mangled. Just mangled. People have been melting the stuff down. They've been chipping off the corners. So you can imagine at the counter, someone goes into a store to buy something around this time, and they're just dumping just a handful of mangled bits of silver and counterfeit mangled bits of silver. Because how yeah. difficult is it to counterfeit a mangled lump of uh, of shiny metal? Right. But I was just thinking, like, think of the U.S. dollar. And just mm-hmm. maybe the only thing that's left is the the eye in the pyramid, right? And presenting that. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a lot easier to to say, you know, to sort of put together something that looks like money, right? So the powers that be, they know Newton is a is a smart cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have an idea that he's the kind of guy that likes to throw himself at a at a problem. Mm-hmm. Probably looks good to throw Newton at a at a problem. I like to think of them all sitting around a table, yeah, all all wearing black and th- and saying. We need to bring Newton in. Yeah, or yeah. or they have the Newton signal on the on the roof. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's also worth noting that you know we're talking about counterfeiting a little here, and alchemy has in uh, in, in many places uh, been tied to to counterfeiting mm-hmm. because alchemy often in, involved the creation of dyes, and uh, and since it couldn't actually change something one metal into another. You could, uh, it did involve sometimes the, the technique of creating like fool's gold mm-hmm. or disguising one metal as another. Um, but, but that, that's kind of incidental. They, so they bring Newton in. And, uh, and, and it's largely ceremonial. Nobody really expects Newton to solve the problems. And yeah, they, they give him a real title, right? Like right. Warden, Warden of, of the, the Royal, Royal Mint. Mint. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, what does Newton do? What does our man do? He, he dons a cape. He throws on a disguise. Yeah. Heads out into the, the mean streets of London, like down into like just the poverty and crime ridden alleys. And he starts hanging out with the counterfeiters. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he has them arrested and, and subsequently executed because it was uh, a major offense in those days to counterfeit currency. Yeah. But yeah, like how amazing is that? I mean, he's essentially the Batman. Of the of uh, the 1700s, right in the 16 1700s, he's 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 wearing a disguise, going out there fighting crime, mm-hmm. then coming back to his scientific lair and <laughs> developing um, uh, milled edges for coins. And these are if you if you get a quarter out, mm-hmm. you find or, or any coin where you, uh, you look at the edges, and if you see little lines, those are milled edges. Uh, and the idea here is you're gonna if, if you're gonna clip the coin and mm-hmm. try and sell the silver to France, um, it's gonna be very noticeable, and then you'll be arrested and possibly executed. Of course, the the other part of that is that it took him a year to create that particular currency, right? And, oh, yes. Um, I mean, the cojones on this guy, he gathered up, well, not just he, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he advocated this and they adopted it, but they gathered up all of the currency and melted it down so yeah. that he could then spend like 18 hours a day 
you know, working on this problem and creating a new currency. Yeah, he was like, money is canceled for the next year or so. And uh, and then yeah. we're going to have new money. I hope everybody's cool with that. Which sounds like it probably wasn't as big of a problem as it would seem like today because, um, you know, it was a, the economy was a mess anyway. And there was a lot of rioting uh, before this even happened. So, uh, I mean, wow. Yeah, he but he, he reorganized the um, uh, the mint, uh, their, their system of creating the coins. Like he went in there and he just kicked butt in the factories. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you have this new modern standard of what a coin is. Yeah. So. Yeah, all in a day's work, right? Yeah, and I, I like to, I just made this part up, but I like to joke, too, that he put his own scowling face on each coin to uh, to convince people uh, that counterfeit, counterfeiting was a bad idea. He you know? probably did put some sort of code in there. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And let's talk about that. Um, and specifically, let's talk about whether or not he may have been suffering from mercury poisoning. Yeah, so, so how would he have uh, been poisoned by mercury? Are we suspecting that someone... Well, I mean, poisoned him? no, actually, because he was using mercury quite a bit. Um, and we know that he had a couple of very serious mental breakdowns in the 1690s. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of had fevered writings from him, would send letters to his friends, uh, didn't make any sense. Uh, we already know that he was an obsessive guy mm-hmm. um, and that he was trying to find hidden meaning in the Bible. Uh, he learned Hebrew, spent half of his life really devoting himself to trying to figure this out. So there's this idea that um, his sleeplessness, his digestive upset, his loss of memory, his paranoid delusions could have been mercury poisoning. Uh, because we know, and this is from the Chemistry Chronicles Newton's Hair by Mark S. Lesney, uh, they know that um, that from a hair sample that he had a high amount of mercury in his system and that he attempted to extract the mercury from various metals during his alchemy. Um, and, and again, we know that he spent a good deal of time trying to work his magic on this and dealing with, with, with mercury. So it's very possible that... Um, at least some of his obsessive nature, well, not so much his obsessive nature, but some of um, him sort of going off kilter could have been delusions that were inspired by mercury poisoning. Now, here's another possibility. He actually succeeded in creating the Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. uh, became immortal, used a homunculus technology to clone himself, which involved mercury. And that is what is uh, actually uh, buried at Westminster. And that is what they got the hair sample for. And he's been he's been locked up in his lab ever mm-hmm. since his secret lab, of course, working on how to prevent the 2060 apocalypse. OK, so if he's uh, a homunculus now. No, no, no. Um, he created the homunculus and that's what was buried. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, oh, oh right, right. Okay. I mean, so undoubtedly, he would have homunculi working for him now as his agent. An army of. Hum- yes. hum- yeah. Homunculi. Of course. Yeah. Um, this sounds like a, a pretty uh, a pat uh Answer to, to the mysteries of Newton. Yes, I'm, I'm going to have to see if they'll let me add that page to the article. I bet you know, they will. They probably will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I make a pretty strong case. Um, you know, it turns out though, again, his his uh, his devotion to religion and the Bible could have had something to do with his own um, personal biography in which he viewed himself. Uh, again, this is from that um, paper, Chemistry Chronicles. Quote, a Christian apostate and adhere to the then prescribed Arian heresy that Christ was not divine. Newton still took very seriously his own birth on Christmas Day. He felt that it gave him a level of prophetic reason, uh, responsibility that, if not equal to Christ, was certainly cut from the same cloth and that it was his own particular role from the start to reveal God's universal laws to all humankind. Or t- to justify God's ways to man, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 There you go. Wow. 
Wow. So, and, and, and you know, actually, that's interesting. Like, maybe we should get be more into the idea of celebrating uh, Sir Isaac Newton at Christmas. Like, you just completely like retool the holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where the tree is all Newton based. Instead of like a manger scene. You well, know, you know, uh, we've <laughs> talked about this poo-poo platter of religions before in which uh, we, we I think we were going to call it Saganism after Carl Sagan, right? Uh-huh. And everybody wears turtlenecks. Right. Why not? Yeah. Why not uh, <laughs> celebrate a, Sir Isaac Newton on Christmas Day? Yeah, just a celebration of, of, of physics, alchemy, crime fighting, um, and, and possibly cat doors, depending on where you, where you fall in that particular controversy. Right. I, I can see it now. Like the rainbow is a... Is a um, sort of logo for this holiday. Yeah. Uh, everybody constructs these sort of paper mache rainbows in their houses instead of Christmas trees. Yeah. I'm up for it. Yeah. Well, hey, if you want to know more about uh, Sir Isaac Newton and his life, uh, you can check out that article that I uh, wrote on, the um, 10 Inventions of Sir Isaac Newton. Just search for that on the HowStuffWorks uh, homepage. Also, How Isaac Newton Worked. We have a great article um, about that. And uh, and if you really want to know more about the um, the alchemy too, uh, do a, just do a quick search for um, Newton Alchemy and Nova because uh, PBS's uh, Nova has a rich website with a lot of resources about what we know about his uh, alchemical side. Indeed, does that mean that we should roll out the robot, get some mail? Yeah, let's get the robot out here. Share some mail with us. All right, uh, here's one from Crystal. Crystal writes in. Crystal actually wrote in with. Uh, with a number of thoughts on some uh, past episodes. I'm going to read what she said um, about our um, our episode that we did about a world without men, about uh, men going extinct. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, For the past six years, I've been self-employed in such ways uh, that I work uh, independently with families. I've seen many different kinds of families and lifestyles, and I have come to the following conclusion about men and women. Okay? All right. She says, and this is, this is her opinion, without women, men are somehow quite, uh, not quite fully developed adults, although they are perfectly happy in their lives at that point. Men need women to take that last step into adulthood. And then she says, without men, women are fully functional adults, but don't uh, pursue happiness, letting responsibilities overshadow it. Women need men to be reminded to value happiness for its own sake and hence be happy. Obviously, this only applies to heterosexual relationships. I haven't had a large enough sample size of homosexual marriages to make any hypothesis yet. I think uh, even if humans somehow evolved past men, women would keep them around to remind us happiness should be sought after. Uh, love the podcast. Thanks, Robert, Julie, and everyone else who makes it happen. Oh, I think uh, that's interesting. Uh, in the podcast, we talked about whether or not men might go extinct. Uh, yeah, and whether the world will be better for a particular be, reason. Yeah, yeah not just it, us making that up. But yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Whether in, in you know whether it would be a, a less violent world, mm-hmm. a more polite world, a prettier world. Huh. Well, and you know how I, you know world. how I feel about it. Like I think that's interesting. I think that she talked about it being a cultural norm. So for me, uh, you know, when when we talk about women and we um, we talk about them being the, the the better angels of our nature, I always feel like that sort of makes women even more one dimensional. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm not saying that that we're not great. I'm just saying that you know, taking that other side of it is not uh, giving you know full complexity to to women out there. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. Though again, it should be noted, Newton didn't have any time for him. Yeah, he had time for cats though. Yeah, and cat flaps. Yeah, possibly, possibly cats and dogs. Though, though it is weird because there uh, people are divided on the whole pet issue. There are some people who say, yeah, he definitely kept a cat, 
He kept a dog. Some There are some stories that say that he had a dog named Diamond, and there were all sorts of wacky adventures. And then other people were like, Newton had no dogs or cats. So, I don't know. You know we just don't know for sure. Well, also, pet ownership was a very different thing back in that day, right? So, yeah. um, I can't imagine that he was going to Target and probably getting them um, cute little Halloween outfits. Yeah, Diamond wasn't sitting in his lap wearing a little sweater and no. everything. So. No. All right. So, hey, if you have anything you would like to share about... Uh, well, about Sir Isaac Newton, about alchemy, about the idea that he's still out there in his lair and homunculi perform his every bidding as he tries to prevent the end of the world in 2060. Um, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can uh, always find us on the social media platforms. We are on Facebook as Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and we are on Twitter as Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.